So it's the fall of 2013, and it's time for Sports Illustrated to make its annual Sports Person of the Year selection. In some years, this is an excruciatingly difficult exercise. Editors and writers plead their case like lawyers. How do you pick Tiger Woods over Roger Federer or vice versa? But in this year, 2013, there wasn't much debate. Actually, there may not have been any debate at all. Peyton Manning was deep into the second half of his 30s, but this was no Lifetime Achievement Award. He was healthy again, and he was in the throes of a career year, which, by Manning standards, was saying something. His team, the Broncos, were the best team in the NFL. Their quarterback would win his fifth NFL MVP, but this would be his first sportsman honor. So the choice was easy, but there was a problem. The ceremony would be held in December, as it is every year, and that, of course, is the guts of the NFL season. And Peyton Manning was in Denver, so he couldn't exactly duck out early from practice and accept the honor in New York the way, say, Derek Jeter had a few years before. So a decision was made. If the mountain wouldn't come to us, we would go to the mountains. The Rockies, specifically. The ceremony would be held at a banquet room at what was then Sports Authority Field at Mile High, the stadium where the Broncos played. So like an NFL team playing a road game, a group of us gathered in New York and headed to Denver to present the award in person. Peyton, meanwhile, made up his own guest list. It was numerous, and it included his father, Archie, his wife, Ashley, Broncos owner, Pat Bolin, John Elway, Wes Welker, Bill Polian, who'd been Manning's boss for much of his time in Indianapolis. The occasion had been swaddled in secrecy for everyone. This had to be a surprise. Manning joked that people saw his vague invitation email and surely figured it was a fundraiser. He said, I knew what the event was, and after I saw the email, heck, I thought it was a fundraiser. It was a dead-on joke, and it was one of many. That night, Peyton stood at the mic, and in that familiar deadpan delivery, he gave a speech that was a perfect calibration of poignant and funny. He recalled the time that as a high school senior, he was interviewed by Sports Illustrated for the first time. He said, quote, I learned about the concept of an expense account. He recalled that by the third interview, he knew enough to invite all of his friends to join him and the writer, John Ed Bradley, for New Orleans Poe Boys. He told a story about the time at Tennessee when Sports Illustrated's Tim Layden interviewed him for a cover story. Then the Volunteers lost their Saturday game, and there was a cover. He talked about his preseason chats with Peter King before every NFL training camp. He also welled up talking about his father and their connection through SI. If you'd heard his speech that night, you'd know why, five years after Manning's last NFL game, networks would still be clamoring for his services as a broadcaster, and you'd get why companies still pay him millions to endorse their products. But that night also gave a real insight into Manning's success as an NFL quarterback. He could easily have had some lackey write him a pro forma, it's an honor and privilege to be here speech. No one would have blinked, much less blamed him. But no, in the middle of this critical NFL season, Manning was committing to doing this thing right. He was thoughtful and steady, and he read the room the way he would read coverage. He was also nimble, making off-the-cuff jokes the equivalent of calling audibles. Manning and the Broncos would reach the Super Bowl that season, which, ironically, would be held back in New York. Then they would get crushed by the Seahawks. But Manning would be back two years later, winning Super Bowl 50, capping off his career. What made all this so remarkable was that Manning's success in Denver was gravy. It was icing. It was that sprig of parsley on the St. Elmo's Porterhouse steak that Manning liked so much. In his mid-30s, after 13 seasons, four MVPs, a Super Bowl, a peerless career with the Colts, Manning's career was in jeopardy. 
After Manning missed the 2011 season with a neck injury, Indianapolis decided it was time to part ways. As divorces go, it was amicable. Kind of. Sort of. But Manning wasn't done with football, so he headed west and joined a new team, which is where Jessica Smetana, SI producer, picks up this week's story. I've been a Colt for almost all of my adult life, but I guess in life and in sports, we all know that nothing lasts forever. Times change, circumstances change, and that's the reality of playing in the NFL. In May of 2011, Peyton Manning woke up from anesthesia in a hospital bed in Chicago, unable to completely feel his right arm. He had just undergone surgery to repair a herniated disc in his neck that had bothered him for years as the star quarterback for the Colts. The weakness in Manning's arm didn't fully heal like his doctors anticipated, so another surgery followed in secrecy, according to the Washington Post. The surgeries left him so weak that he could barely grip a football, let alone complete the throwing motion that had made him one of the NFL's best quarterbacks. A complex spinal fusion surgery came next, and any hope for playing in 2011 with the Colts went out the window. By the spring of 2012, miraculously, Manning had a clean bill of health and was cleared to return. But it was too late for the Colts. They had already moved on. They had the number one pick in the draft after going 2-14 without Manning, and their eyes were set on Stanford's Heisman Trophy runner-up, Andrew Luck. What followed was one of the biggest quarterback free agency periods of the decade. Hall of Fame quarterbacks and GMs snuck around in decoy SUVs and held secret workouts on high school fields. If you've ever read Sports Illustrated, you know that if anyone was going to get the details from Manning's free agency, it would be Peter King. And in the April 2012 issue of SI, King shared those details with the world. And what I remember about it was that the NFL was gathering for its league meetings right after the Broncos signed Manning. And so um, the league meetings are usually sort of right up my alley because I know a lot of people in the league. I've covered it for a long time. And, you know, the league meetings start on Sunday, mid to late day. But if you get in there on Saturday night, you usually catch a lot of the early birds. And that year, I caught some of the early birds at the meeting uh, on Saturday night at the hotel bar and uh, learned a lot about the Manning chase. Um, And plus, I had Peyton had given me a lot of uh, a lot of clues going into this because I've known him for a while. And he gave me a lot of clues and a lot of inside information about his various stops and what had happened to him along the way. So I knew a lot of what to ask. And the cool thing about this story is that, um, and I remember this so well, that I basically had to have this story done and filed to SI, um, you know, by Sunday during the day, which I did. But I told my editor at the time, listen, 
I'm talking to John Elway tonight at about uh, maybe eight o'clock after they get out of their first session of these meetings. And I may have some changes to make. And so when I did talk to Elway, he did tell me a bunch of things that absolutely I had to go back into the story and fix and rewrite a couple of sections in their entirety. So that was fun about SI. SI, even though it's it was the story was going to appear like three days after I wrote it, I knew I had some stuff that nobody else had. And so it was it it was really a fun a fun story to do. So it, it seems crazy to think about now because Manning went on to win an MVP and a Super Bowl for the Broncos. But in 2012, when you were reporting this, that wasn't a certainty. And in fact, I think there were probably a lot of teams that were not sure if he was worth the risk. Um, can you kind of set the scene for Manning's mindset and, and why Elway was so sure about the signing and how that all came together? Well, I don't think Elway was sure about it at all. Um, in fact, uh, I don't think anybody was really sure, but it was such a weird, weird chase because Peyton had it in his mind, the teams that he was really interested in, and some of the teams that wanted to get involved. And, and, and this is what is so strange about the whole thing, that you think back to 2012, the Seattle Seahawks in 2012, uh, a month after Peyton Manning signed, the Seattle Seahawks drafted Russell Wilson in the third round. And I might be wrong a game or two on this, but they've played about 135 games since the day that they drafted Russell Wilson. He has started every one of those games. And clearly, he's a Pro Bowl top 10 NFL quarterback. If they had signed Peyton Manning, they would not have gone after Russell Wilson. So that's one little X factor here. But what was so interesting about this is that Peyton Manning had uh, a bunch of a bunch of friends along the way, like one of his really good friends was a guy named Brandon Stokely. He was a wide receiver, played with Peyton in Indianapolis for a while, and then he played in Denver. And so Brandon Stokely was living in Denver at the time, and basically uh, Manning stayed with Stokely when he had visited the Broncos uh, on this trip. And when he visited the Broncos on this trip, the Seattle Seahawks and Pete Carroll flew to the airport right near the Broncos facility, even though Manning said he really didn't want them to do that. And Manning didn't go meet Pete Carroll. You know, he ended up, he ended up, Pete Carroll flew to Denver chasing Peyton Manning and Manning never met with him. He, he got back on the plane and just flew back to Seattle. It was really kind of a crazy time, and I, I don't, I don't think. Look, I think one of the things that has maybe been misrepresented about this over time is that 
Manning went to the Broncos because of Elway. I think Elway really helped and was probably very important in it, but he didn't go only because of that. You know, he liked the team they had. He knew that they could be a contending team. Uh, and and there was a lot about the, the team and the situation he liked. And in fact, I think when he first went there, a good friend of his who, who was working in TV at the time, John Lynch, told him that, you know, uh, one of your best assets here is going to be John Elway. So uh, I think Elway helped. He was not everything, but he certainly was helpful. Manning also went to Denver during the lockout the previous spring to work out after his surgery because he didn't want, he couldn't practice at the Colts facility. And he also didn't, he wanted this kind of air of secrecy about how strong he actually was at the time. Is that just a coincidence or did that have any role in, in him choosing Denver? The next season? Um, I don't think it had a big role in him choosing Denver, but I do think that Elway helped. Um, and remember, Manning was, was really pretty friendly with John Lynch, and uh, Lynch was very, very bullish on Denver, uh, and he was bullish on just the simple fact that he was bullish. He wanted to go to a place, and this sounds funny saying it, but he wanted to go to a place where football mattered and where they were going to take it really seriously and they were going to do everything possible to win a Super Bowl while he was there. Because Pat Bolin, the owner of the Broncos, was basically in the early stages of uh, being afflicted with Alzheimer's disease. But he was there at the press conference announcing Manning. And Bolin was a big reason why Manning wanted to go because Manning knew he just looked at Denver, Denver's history, and they were never bad. You know, they were, they were always a contending team. And I think that was really important to him that they would spend the money and do what they had to do to, uh, uh, you know, to try to be a contender. In your story, you wrote that Peyton Manning had this methodical approach to his free agency. The way that he often prepared for games was it was the same thing. He kind of thought everything through. Um, is is that how he ended up with these three teams that that were the final three: the the Broncos, the Titans, and the Cardinals? He he like wrote out a list of pros and cons. How did he kind of go about doing that? Um, well, it's very interesting. I think. The team that probably wanted him the most, other than those three, but that didn't, um, that never sort of reached the finals, and 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 who knows? Peyton right now today might say that they were right in it to the end, but um, the team that really wanted him badly was the San Francisco 49ers. and. You know, this was one of the funniest parts of this story. First of all, so what Manning wanted was he wanted a team that would spend. He wanted a team that had a good base of talent right now, and he was confident that they could add to that base of talent. And he wanted a team that he felt, uh, you know, was going to be a consistent winner with a good coaching staff. So... Um, I think he looked at a bunch of teams 
And, you know, the Cardinals were interesting because they had Larry Fitzgerald, who was in his prime. Uh, Ken Wisenhunt would basically run the offense that he wanted. Um, he loved the thought of going to Phoenix and being able, being able to play golf and for it to be a year-round place for him. Um, and then I think Tennessee was interesting to him because, first of all, he really liked Mike Munchak, the head coach um, at the time. He was a tough meat and potatoes guy. But also, Jessica, what was really interesting about all of these places that you're looking at, especially Arizona, Tennessee, and Denver, they were going to basically allow him to come in and not to do anything he wanted or to do everything he wanted, but they were going to allow him to come in and do a lot of the stuff on offense that he wanted to do. And so that really became an important part of this. Now, but the San Francisco thing was really quite interesting because when you think about it, and this is a this is not a, a knock on San Francisco or anything like that, but they were really, really uh, forward in their in their interest. And so um, at one point, uh, Peyton Manning was working out at Duke University with his old uh, college coach, David Cutcliffe, um, who had coached him at Tennessee. And David Cutcliffe by this time was the head coach at Duke. And so he did a lot a lot of stuff in the offseason at Duke. And, and the 49ers actually went and uh, uh, basically Jim Harbaugh, who was the head coach, wanted to see him work out, but he didn't want anybody to know he was there. So Harbaugh and Greg Roman, who was another offensive assistant there, flew to Raleigh-Durham Airport in North Carolina and went to Duke and uh, they went actually and bought some clothes at the Duke University bookstore and went and got Duke hooded sweatshirts. And they put the hoodies over their heads and they stood down in the corner of the field and watched Manning work out because obviously he was coming back from this serious neck injury. And uh, so they, that's, how, that's, how they watch, that's how they watched Manning work out you know, basically hidden from everybody. That's how cloak and dagger this whole thing was. You know, the 49ers really didn't want anybody knowing, you know, what they were doing. Because think about it at the time. You know, that was a year after they drafted Colin Kaepernick. You know, so he was, and they had Alex Smith. So this all was, this was all really, really interesting stuff. And it's one of the reasons why so much of it was cloak and dagger because they were Manning had teams interested in him that already had quarterbacks, basically. Well, that was going to be my next question to you. There are so many, there are so many secretive little decoy SUVs and all of this stuff where you know Manning would tip off a reporter that he was going to one restaurant and go somewhere else. And, you know, he didn't want anyone to know what his decision was going to be or where he was going to go. And I was going to ask you why, but it, it makes a lot of sense. It's the same reason that GMs are a little bit guarded around draft time about which quarterback prospects they're talking to, because 
Ryan Pace doesn't want uh, Mitch Trubisky to know that he's talking to uh, whoever, Justin Herbert or Tua or any of these guys because they don't want to upset the apple cart if they do or don't end up drafting the person. Either way, their veteran guy is going to be upset about it. So I can see why it was the same same situation with um, Manning. The other thing, Jess, is that when you're dealing with I mean, this is eight years ago we're talking about, but um, I, I don't remember much, and I've been covering the NFL for 36 years. I don't remember much that people were as maniacally interested in. It's It, it, it basically would compare to, you know, Tom Brady signing with another team. It, the Brady thing was probably bigger, but... Manning was close. And, you know, I remember the one, the other story, the other sort of weird cloak and dagger story in this one was that when the Tennessee Titans were getting ready to uh, have a workout with Manning, um, you know, Manning obviously didn't want a lot of people to see the workout. And he was going to work out with the Titans and they had arranged for a private practice facility at the University of Tennessee um, because Manning went there and he knew everybody, but somehow the beans got spilled on that. So there was media all over Knoxville on this rainy Saturday. He was supposed to work out and throw for the, uh, uh, for, for Mike Munchak and the, and the Tennessee group. Um, So Manning had a friend of a friend who, uh, who from college, who had connections to a tiny little private high school in the Knoxville area. And so Manning called him and on a moment's notice, the guy made opened up their school for Manning. And so nobody had any idea where they were. Uh, And so they went and worked out in the rain at this school. I think Manning threw 55 balls for uh, Tennessee and did what they asked him to do. And so after that, basically Manning and Munchak and the Tennessee uh, football people all just went and got a cheeseburger and nobody ever knew, even though all of the Tennessee media was was all over the campus at Knoxville looking for Manning and Munchak in this workout. And they basically left them on a very cold trail. And anyway, th- this was... That was what was fun about this. Whereas, you know, when Brady was being pursued, there were no workouts. There was no anything. But with with Manning, because he had missed the previous year with his major neck injury, everybody wanted to see how he was throwing and how he was feeling and and what the, the MRI on his neck looked like. So it was important that people be able to work him out and to be able to see him throw see whether he was in any pain or not. So that was that was a big part of this whole deal. Were there any teams that Manning was interested in that were were not did not reciprocate, did not really want to go through the, you know, secrecy and all of that and just thought, you know what, it's not worth all of that. We're happy with what we have. Or did he did he pretty much have pick of the litter? Like he whatever team he was interested in would take a workout with him and would talk to him. I think the one team that he was probably interested in that he couldn't, that it just couldn't work is Washington 
because at the time, Washington basically, uh, you know, was in need of a quarterback. And at that moment, uh, at, at that year, Washington wanted a quarterback, but but then traded up high into the first round to get in position to take either Andrew Luck or uh, Robert Griffin III. And in fact, John Elway is the one who told Manning uh, when they were having a meeting one day that uh, this trade had just gone down. Manning was shocked. And that led Elway to believe in everybody in, in the Broncos because Mike Shanahan had coached Denver. And now Shanahan and Kyle Shanahan were back in Washington. And so I think Elway told that to Manning and Manning's reaction of shock led Elway and others in Denver to think that, oh my God, Washington must have been on the list until this trade was made. Was John Elway, having been a former quarterback and Peyton Manning obviously being a quarterback, did that have anything to do with one another? And did that make Peyton feel better about the relationship with Manning and the and the or with Elway and the Broncos? I think Elway from the start felt it would be an advantage because he knew how he would want to be treated. In fact, he he told me that Sunday night when I met him at the league meetings, he told me that night that I said, what was your plan on this? And he said, I just put myself in Peyton's shoes. And I knew I have been where he is. And I, and I would want to be treated exactly like this. And so, and when he said like this, he meant no pressure and just say, hey, listen, I'm going to give you my sales pitch and then you should do what the best thing is for you. You shouldn't, I mean, I'm not going to beg you to come. You got to come because you think it's the best thing. And he said, that's exactly how I would want to be feel how I would want to be treated. Um, he said, I, I did not want to force him to do anything. And I think what was really interesting and, and sometimes we can all sit back at the end and we can say, geez, why did this happen? I don't really understand why he would pick this team over that team. My last question to John Elway was, uh, John, did you ever ask Peyton why he picked the Broncos? I mean, why do you think he picked Denver? And he goes, I don't know. I never asked. Now, on a decision that big, wouldn't you be just dying to know? Wouldn't you just want to ask Peyton Manning, Peyton, why did you do it? Why? I got to know. I'm, I'm dying to know. Elway just said, man, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to ask him that. It's just, it was almost like it was a cross between you're too cool for school and it just, you don't want to really ask a guy that question because it's almost like you're searching for a compliment. It's almost like you're searching for somebody to say, well, John, I love you, you know, and, and I, 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 you know, I have so much respect for you and all that stuff. And Elway, in Elway's voice, I could tell it was almost like, I mean, what does it matter? He chose us. He's here. That's all that matters. 
going back to Pete Carroll being left in his in his plane on the tarmac in Denver, were there any hard feelings between Manning and Carroll after that, that he didn't even really give him the courtesy of, you know, face to face, I'm not interested. He just kind of let him fly back to Seattle. They did eventually end up playing against each other not long after that in the Super Bowl. So what was the relationship like after that? I think Pete Carroll is one of those don't worry, be happy guys. He's not a kind of guy, I don't think, to hold a grudge. And I've never asked him. That's a great question. I've never asked him, but I don't think he'd be the kind of guy. Because remember, just remember, Manning never said, hey, come to Denver and I'll meet with you. Pete Carroll got on the plane himself and said, I'm going to be there. Just come. Nobody will know. I'm, I'm, I'm at an airstrip. As a matter of fact, it's, it's an airport that if you are at the Denver Broncos practice facility, this airport is four Peyton Manning spirals away from that airport. I mean, it is. It, you see planes take on and off all the time. And so Peyton Manning, when he visited with the Broncos, would have been a half mile from this airport. So Carroll was trying to make it as convenient as he could, but Manning, you know what? That, quite honestly, I I've, I never asked him this, but stuff like that bothers Manning. Like, he didn't ask you to come. If he wanted you to come, he would have, but he's almost put off by the fact that um, you spent all this time and energy and fuel and whatever to come down here when I told you it's just, it's not going to happen. I'm not doing it. So anyway, but I, 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 I've never asked him, so I don't know. Hindsight is obviously 2020 and it, it seems like the Manning uh, Denver relationship worked out. He won a Super Bowl and an MVP and uh, it, it, you know, obviously things there seemed like the best outcome for Manning, but do you think that the Colts, now regret letting Manning go. We've seen Andrew Luck's entire career play out. He retired early. They never made it to a Super Bowl. Um, I'll be, he was a successful quarterback there in terms of his statistics and numbers, but it was not never the same the same way it was when Peyton was Peyton was the quarterback. So, how do you think Denver looks back on the Peyton Manning decision, and how do you think the Colts look back on the Peyton Manning decision? You know, for the Colts. Um... It's a it's a one in a million thing that you draft a franchise quarterback. He plays well, but not top three. And he suffers a couple of nagging, debilitating injuries that he just one of which he just really can't get over. And he's always in some pain. But to me, I'm not saying it's a million to one shot, but it's a hundred to one shot that you draft a franchise quarterback and because of the pain and because of other things, Andrew Luck fell out of love with football. But it's just, it's a fluky thing. What are you going to do? It's, it's just weird. And as far as Denver goes, I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying to remember, but after three years, his first three years in Denver, Manning far and away in those three years was the best quarterback statistically in football, and they won a boatload of games. And then the last year when he's really starting to break down, they have a good enough defense 
to where they win the Super Bowl. Denver has got to be euphoric with squeezing every drop of ability that Peyton Manning had left. And in, you know, even though he limped to the finish line, you know, he limped to the finish line and won a Super Bowl. There's no asterisk in the record book that's that lists the score of the Super Bowl when they beat Carolina. And then with an asterisk, oh, by the way, Manning played this game at about 58%. He, he won the game. So, you know, history's written by the winners. So history looks pretty good to Denver. So if we look back and we say the Colts maybe maybe shouldn't have let Peyton Manning go and the Broncos got a steal out of Peyton Manning, do you think we'll be saying the same thing in five years about Tom Brady that maybe the Patriots shouldn't have let him go, but but Tampa really squeezed uh, a couple more years out of a pretty great quarterback? Could be. I mean, this story will be a little bit different because the Patriots didn't have the ability to have the first pick in the draft and and take Andrew Luck. Um, but, you know, the Brady story, I don't know, I look at it a little bit of a different way. Uh, if Bill Belichick said, we're going out to spend X in free agency and to do all this stuff um, to make our offense better and more explosive, it might have worked. Um, but I think Tom Brady just really wanted another experience, another football experience. This wasn't about, uh, I want to win one more Super Bowl. And if the Patriots just will go out and buy a wide receiver and a tight end and, and a good pass catching running back, I'll go back there. I just, I think he wanted to see if the grass was greener on the other side, or just to see what the grass felt like on the other side, you know? So I, I mean, I, I don't think there was ever in retrospect now as you've as there's been more reporting done on this. Uh, I just don't think there was much of a chance he was ever going to go back. So we've spent decades comparing Manning and, and Brady, but we shouldn't compare this compare them on this. I don't think so because Brady wanted to go. I don't think Manning wanted to leave Indianapolis, but he also knew that once they had the first pick in the draft and they had the ability to take Andrew Luck. I'm sure Manning was a little bit ticked off that they picked a quarterback knowing that he was going to come back and probably going to come back pretty strong. But how can you, how can you knock an organization for looking to the future? So, I mean, maybe deep down Manning says, ah, I showed them, but I think he understands that that's the way it had to be. Is, is there any anything that I might have missed? Any fun behind the scenes anecdotes from the story? You know, we talked a little bit about how how Peyton had 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 this you know, very secretive workout at Duke for um, you know for Jim Harbaugh, and when he had this secretive workout for him. He texted his mom and he was trying to keep everything quiet. So he texted his mom and, and he said, uh, hey, mom, I just had a workout for an NFL team. Guess, guess which one? And his mom goes, what? And he goes, I'll give you a clue. Coach was wearing a hoodie. And his mom wrote back. She said, you worked out for Bill Belichick? 
And he writes back, he said, no, mom, I, I worked out for Coach Harbaugh with the 49ers. And so I always thought that was kind of cute that his mom would think that Belichick, would, who already had Tom Brady, uh, would be uh, working out Peyton Manning. So I, I thought, always thought that was kind of cute. That is cute. Can you imagine if if Belichick was there watching Peyton Manning? The headlines would have just been unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, there are some things that a coach probably would never do for a lot of different reasons, <laughs> but I don't think uh, I, I don't think that one could have got swept swept under the rug. said that these past two years have, uh, have truly changed uh, uh, my life and so I'm really in a new place and kind of in the second chapter of my football career and uh, I realized after that injury I think I always have realized this but uh, it was certainly reinforced that next year certainly is not problem. Thanks, Jessica. That was an awesome deep dive. This is a topic uh, near and dear to me as someone um, who grew up in, in greater Indianapolis and knew the Colts well. Um, I had done a story with Jim Ursay, I guess in 2010, and you would have thought Peyton Manning was his son. So to see him, you know, barely a year later, cut ties was jarring. I, you know, I, I mean, inevitably, you're going to have the Tom Brady comparisons. And I'm thinking about the news that Tom Brady going to Tampa Bay was that that's a week's worth of news cycles. I don't remember at least outside of Indiana. I don't remember Peyton Banning's partner being that big a story in the grand scheme of things. Um, thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that partially that's because I don't really know how much people expected him to bounce back from that injury. Um, Tom Brady is still, I wouldn't say in his prime, but I mean, there's still gas in the tank. There's no questions over whether or not he can throw a football anymore. Peyton Manning's injury was significant and the surgery that he got was significant. So a lot of the reason that this whole free agency was shrouded in secrecy was that he didn't want huge hordes of media videotaping him, throwing the ball and dissecting his every move. And so I think that naturally there were, it was not as, maybe not as big of a story outside of NFL circles because people didn't really know what it meant yet. If he hadn't gone out on the field and, played yet and proven that he was all the way back. One thing I remember about this is that both sides went to great extremes, like contorted themselves, like like yoga stretches to take the high road and to not let this uh, devolve into something nasty. You you approach this with some objectivity that, that I lack. You approach this with uh, some detachment. Were the Colts, uh, were the Colts villains here? I don't think so. It's a leading I think- question. Yeah, I think every t- every sports fan wants their owners or GMs to be the kind of forward-thinking people that a lot of times they aren't. And I think that it's really easy to make fun of owners and GMs when they are so attached to people and don't want to let them go. And it it's to the detriment of their team. And, and they won't open up their eyes and realize, like, you're never going to have this back. You know, like, this guy's damaged goods, you have the first pick in the draft next year, you have to think ahead and and you can't give that away. Um, so I, I really do see where the Colts were coming from. And I think hindsight is 2020. Of course, I don't know if they would 
still do this knowing what they know now about Andrew Luck's career and how that's kind of unfolded and has been so peculiar as well. Um, but I don't, it's hard to call them villains. I think it's, it's easy to see how it was a really hard decision, but they might've made the right one. Yeah. Sorry, John. I want to ask you about Denver because I think if you, if you asked around and you said, you know, who wants to take a flyer on Peyton Manning? No, you'd won four MVPs at that point. Um, how how did Denver sort of win this derby? I'm I'm still unclear on that. Yeah, I think really what Peter says is that it came down to a, a couple factors for Manning, which was that he wanted to play for a team that could win the Super Bowl. He knew he was in win-now mode. He didn't have many years left to play, didn't know when his neck and shoulder situation would deteriorate again. Um, and he felt comfortable there because Elway treated him the way that Elway would have liked to have been treated if he was in his spot. So there was that quarterback, quarterback kind of uh, connection there. And so I, I think that Denver was, it actually turned out to be a perfect landing spot for him. It was, you know, he got away from the AFC South, didn't have to play his Colts twice a year, uh, ended up winning a Super Bowl, winning another MVP and and had a pretty solid second life there in, in Denver. So it worked out for sure. The really easy, uh, inevitable comparison to Tom Brady goes like this, that both of them play the majority of their career with one franchise and then feel disrespected and, and leave. Uh, you you want to compare and contrast and, and tell me why that's uh, too, too cheap and easy a column or should someone write it? I think it's probably already been written. I, I, I see the similarities with Manning and Brady, but this, this particular chapter in in Manning's free agency versus what we just saw with Tom Brady's free agency this past uh, March. I think there's too many differences to really compare them one to one. For one, of course, being the injury and also just um, the the period that each person was in their career. Like Tom Brady probably has a couple years left that he'll give to Tampa. But beyond that, I don't think anyone sees him playing as long as, you know, in his mid forties or fifties, but <laughs> certainly not. But Manning was, was a little younger. And I think really did see that he had a few more years in the tank and, um, and knew that this opportunity was, was too good to pass up in Denver. I'm John Wertheim. This is sports illustrated's the record. You can subscribe to The Record on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Radio.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a review, and we'll have another deep dive next week. Our episode today was produced by Jessica Smetana. Alex Hampel is a supervising producer on the project and edited today's episode. Our executive producer is Scott Brody, and SI's director of digital projects and product is Ben Eagle. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.